So Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 32 to 48. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, that's Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Good morning and uh, happy Easter. My name is Greg, and uh, like most of you, uh, I also think that the eggs taste better than the block. Although I think I might need to do a little bit more research into that. Uh, Sam, if you can bring me a block. Katie, if you can bring me a bag. I'd happy to give you uh, an entirely impartial decision. I kind of wonder if, rather than a chocolate test, that was actually more a popularity test, that last thing, don't you think? We just... <laughs> actually, we just like Katie more. Um, now, they say you can tell a lot about a person by the way they face death. When someone looks death in the eye, that's when you find out what they're really made of. And I have looked death in the eye. I have faced death and found out exactly what I was made of. It was the 31st of October in 1994, and I was walking down the main street of Kingsford, which is in Sydney, when I heard a scream behind me. And when I turned around, I, I saw a woman sitting in a car at a set of traffic lights, and two young men were charging off down the road behind the car, and one of them was carrying a bag. And like a, like a bullet from a gun, I set off straight after them. And it was actually like a, a scene from one of those cop shows. They sprinted down the road. I was off behind them in hot pursuit. They dived down one alley, then into the next. I followed them doggedly, inching closer step by step. They separated. I stayed on the guy with the bag. Until that moment, when I finally caught up with him, 
And there we were, we were both standing there, hands on our knees, <laughs> panting, sizing each other up. Look, I don't know if it was the adrenaline talking, but I figured I could take him. <laughs> and I began to move forward, fists raised, kind of boxer's position, ready to play the hero. And at that moment, the odds shifted dramatically in his, in his uh, favour. Because this blue station wagon pulled up alongside us and out jumped another young guy. Fine, I thought. I'll take you both. <laughs> Bring it on. That was when he pulled out the knife. Now, in reality, it was about this big. It was, a, it was a, one of those big kitchen knives. But in my eyes, it was a giant machete. And he walked towards me with the knife raised like this. And at that moment, I really did look death in the eye. And I found out exactly what I was made of. The bag's all yours! <laughs> is what I said in that high tone of voice. Because when I faced death, frankly, I was terrified. I felt, I still remember that horrible, sick feeling in the pit of my stomach of terror. And I began to back away with my hands in the air. He stabbed me anyway. He just rushed at me with his knife around his ears, yelling at the top of his lungs, and he just hacked. And do you know what it was that saved my life? I tripped over the gutter. <laughs> I was going backwards, and I fell over the gutter. And so as the knife came down, instead of coming down into my chest, it went down into my thigh, went straight in, struck the bone, snapped off in the wound. And they, I know I love telling that bit. <laughs> I so wish I'd kept the blade. But anyway, um, they jumped in the car and they ran off. And so do you know what I learned about myself when I faced death? Well, it's not very flattering. As it turned out, not only was I a coward, I was a klutz as well. I was clumsy. Not a very impressive picture, is it? The police actually gave me a bravery award for all of this. For 27 years now, frankly, I've kind of felt like a fraud because bravery is the last word I would ever have used to describe my behavior at that moment. Stupidity, yes. <laughs> Very different from the part of the Bible we just read. See, we have just read the moment when Jesus not only faces the prospect of death, he actually dies. This is Jesus' moment of execution. And the thing about Jesus is, he dies in such a way that a man looking on comes to an extraordinary conclusion. You can see it up on the screen. Take a look in sentence 47. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Now, that's amazing, because this, this centurion, this soldier, he's seen loads of executions, right? He's a professional soldier, and the Romans executed, they crucified a lot of people. Surely Jesus is just another one in a long line, but Jesus catches his eye. Jesus dies in such a way that he says, this guy was innocent. More than that, this guy is a righteous man. He's a good man. He should never have died. Now, that's a huge conclusion, isn't it? So, how did he get there? 
What is it about the way that Jesus died that led this pretty hardened soldier to decide that actually the wrong thing has just happened? They've just executed a righteous, good, innocent man. Well, that's what we're going to look at. We've actually just read everything the soldier saw from the moment Jesus arrived at the place called the skull until the moment he died. In other words, we've got all the information that he had and we're going to see he really saw three things. If you jump on the QR code and you'll see an online outline of really the, the big three things we're going to look at this morning, he really saw three things about Jesus. The first one was he saw Jesus pray forgiveness for his killers. So, have a look there in sentence 34 up on the screen. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood there watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. So here's Jesus, right? He is going through the worst kind of hell. Crucifixion was an awful, awful way to die. And just to make it worse, to rub salt into the wound, the same Jewish rulers who've conspired to have him murdered now come and torment him. They're sneering at him. And the soldiers are coming up and they're mocking him and calling him to come down. Jesus is literally dying with ridicule and hatred in his ears. And what does he do? What would you do in that moment? Because I know what I'd do if I could. If I could, I'd be hurling abuse back at them. I'd try to give as good as I got, right? I'd be yelling at them. I'd be spitting at them. I'd, I'd be flicking blood on them or whatever it was. I would use my last ounce of strength to spit back in their face. Because let's face it, they're already killing me. It's not like they can do anything worse. Go for broke. Except Jesus doesn't. No, from the cross, he looks down at the people who are killing him and he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Jesus doesn't just forgive them himself, he asks God to forgive them too. Doesn't that blow you away? Especially because it's so out of kilter with the culture we live in, doesn't it? Our culture has kind of lost the art of learning how to forgive people, doesn't it? We've lost the art of forgiveness. I mean, you see it on things like social media with cancel culture. You know this thing, cancel culture? When someone makes a mistake in our culture, when someone you know, gets shamed for doing the wrong thing, they say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, there is no room for forgiveness anymore in social media, is there? It doesn't even matter if they apologize, they've just got to be punished. They've got to be attacked until they quit their job, until their reputation's destroyed, until everything about them has been totally wiped out and cancelled. This week I read about this poor woman in America called Natasha Times. She's a, a Jordanian immigrant to America. I think she was actually a refugee. And in May 2019... She was waiting for the moment of her life. She was waiting for her first novel to be published. It had been accepted, been printed, and it was, it was about to be published. And then one morning, on the train on her way to work, she tweeted about a rail employee that she'd seen breaking the rules. 
And her tweet wasn't racist. She, she came out and she said, look, I'm an immigrant of colour myself. But it got caught up in the, the whole racism debate in America. It was branded racist. And then the tweets just poured in. And then more. And then more. And momentum build. And all of it was attacking. And over the next day and into the next. And after this avalanche of attack, her reputation was just destroyed. The publishers rang up and they said, you're unpublishable. You're gone. We can't publish your book now. Her career was over before it had even started. Not long after that, she had a nervous breakdown, all for one innocent tweet. And yet her story is really common, isn't it? Our culture has actually forgotten how to forgive. We only know how to punish now. And here's Jesus. The people are literally murdering him. This is an unjust death. And they're not sorry. They're mocking him and rubbing it into the wound. And as he hangs there on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is astounding, isn't it? No wonder the centurion took notice. I doubt he'd ever seen anything like it. Jesus prays forgiveness for his killers. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, that Jesus does is he promises paradise for the condemned. So have a look in sentence 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now that's extraordinary. Here they are dying, and one of the criminals is saying, come on Jesus, save us. And they're out there, Jesus is actually nailed to his cross. They're surrounded by Roman soldiers, the elite of the fighting world. And Jesus says to the guy next to him, mate, I'm going to get us out of this. Stick with me, buddy. Today, by the end of the day, we're all going to be in paradise. That would have caught the centurion's attention, wouldn't it? This is the ultimate promise of escape. Just for fun this week, I looked up the most successful uh, jail escapees of all time. Up on the screen, meet Willie Sutton, otherwise known as Slick Willie. I love that name. Slick Willie. He was a really daring bank robber in the 20s and the 30s. The way he'd do it is he would fool his way into the bank vault by dressing as a police officer or as a security guard, and while everyone's back was turned, he'd make off with the cash. But eventually, they caught up with him, and in 1931, they sentenced him to 30 years in prison. One year in, he escaped from prison by joining two ladders, on, one on top of the other, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? He scaled a 40-foot wall. That's basically as tall as this ceiling. And he shot through. And he was on the run for two years before he was recaptured. And this time, they decided to sentence him to 50 years in prison. But again, within a year, he escaped. And this time, the way he did it was, he used cutlery, a fork and a spoon, to dig his way out of prison. He did that classic thing. He dug a tunnel out of the prison, and he got, a, he got away. But they captured him again. And so, clearly an awesome escape artist, terrible at being on the run. But anyway, they escaped, <laughs> they captured him again, 
This time they sentenced him to life in prison, never to be released. But he escaped again. This time he dressed up somehow, he got a guard's uniform, he dressed up as a guard and he walked out in full view of everyone. But they captured him again. (laughs) And this time they sentenced him to life in prison plus 105 more years. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but clearly they were just fed up by this point. (laughs) His final escape was the best of all. He convinced everyone that he was dying, and they let him out of prison, and he lived free for another 11 years. (laughs) That is a successful escape artist, right? But nailed up on a cross, in full view of hundreds of people, surrounded by soldiers... I'm thinking even Slick Willie is not going to get out of this one. And of course, that's when we realize Jesus isn't promising escape from death. He's actually promising something bigger here. Jesus is promising a paradise beyond death. And they all know that. In sentence 42, the criminal asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. That is, he thinks somehow Jesus is going to conquer death. Somehow, Jesus is going to rule a kingdom beyond death, and He says, remember me, and Jesus says, I will. In fact, today you'll join me there. Now, what kind of man, on their death cross, can actually promise a kingdom on the other side? A paradise beyond death. No wonder Jesus caught the centurion's eye, right? He promises paradise for the condemned. But the third thing Jesus does, I think, is the most noticeable of all. I think it's the most amazing one of all, and it actually happens pretty quickly in the story. You mightn't have even noticed it. But it is the most amazing thing Jesus does. Have a look at sentence 46 on the screen. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Now, here is Jesus' dying words. This is what He says with His last breath. And with His last breath, He says to God, God, you know I'm innocent. I'm putting myself in your hands. And He's actually quoting there one of the great poems of the Old Testament, Psalm 31, which was written by an innocent man, who says, "'In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge.'" Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Free me from the trap that's set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Now, that was written by an innocent man named David who was being persecuted. His his enemies in sentence four are out to get him. And he says, well, God, you're righteous, you're the God of truth, so you know what's really going on here, you know I'm innocent, so get me out of it, rescue me, deliver me from my enemy's trap. I'm putting myself in your hands, God. And Jesus quotes that psalm. With his dying breath, Jesus is saying, God, you know I'm innocent here. You know the truth, and so I'm going to put myself in your hands. Now, can you imagine ever saying that to God with your dying breath? 
when you're just about to meet him face to face? Because I know I couldn't. I might be able to say it now. Now that I'm not actually facing death at this moment, I might be able to say that I'm a good person. Because I'm not about to meet God face to face. But I tell you, if I was about to meet God face to face, the very last thing I'd be doing is saying, well, God, you know I'm innocent. Because frankly, I know it wouldn't be true. I know God would be just about to say, well, hang on a minute, Greg. What about all the lies you told? What about all, all those things that you stole? What about all the people you hurt? What about the jealousy and the grudges and the meanness and the broken promises and the faithlessness? The fact is, in the moment of my death, with my last dying breath, when I'm just about to face God, the very last thing I'm going to be doing is saying, God, you know I'm innocent. That Jesus does, that tells me something. And it told that centurion something. Jesus prays forgiveness for his killers. He promises a paradise on the other side of death and then he faces God with the confidence of an innocent man. And that centurion sees all that and goes, wow, turns out he really was a righteous man. I mean, anyone who can forgive from a cross and promise paradise beyond it and actually meet God proclaiming their own innocence, the centurion says he, he really was a righteous man. He didn't deserve to die. And the thing is, it's not just the centurion who says that, because look at the next sentence. When all the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Beating your breast is what you did when you'd just seen the ultimate miscarriage of justice. It's what you do when something terrible and wrong has been committed. Because they could all see that Jesus was a righteous man. And do you want to know something? God agreed with them. God agreed that Jesus was a righteous man who didn't deserve to die. Because he raised him from the dead. See, this, this part of Luke isn't actually the end of Jesus' story. No, on the third day after this, God raised Jesus from the dead. We're actually going to look at that passage this coming Sunday in church. And that resurrection, that raising of Jesus, was God saying, yes, Jesus was innocent. He wasn't a criminal. He didn't deserve to die. He placed himself in my hands, and I've raised him up. That is, Easter Sunday is God's declaration that the centurion was actually right. Jesus was an innocent man. But of course, that gives us a big problem, doesn't it? It raises a big question. Why on earth did God ever let him die then? On the cross, Jesus places himself into God's hands, says, I'm innocent, and God agrees. So why on earth did God ever let him die in the first place? It's a big question, isn't it? Because it kind of asks whether God is righteous. Well, the key is what Jesus said to that criminal. It was to give us paradise. See, that criminal, he knew that he was guilty, didn't he? He admits, I'm getting what my deeds deserve. He wasn't righteous like Jesus was, just like I'm not righteous like Jesus was. If God were to give me what my deeds deserve, it wouldn't be paradise, it would be hell. But Jesus died as an innocent righteous man 
in our place. That's why God sent him. God sent Jesus to live a perfect, completely innocent life and then to die a criminal's death to pay for our crimes. It was the classic swap. We were unrighteous. We've done loads of things wrong. I've done so many things wrong in my life and the worst thing I've done of all is I've ignored God. And Jesus never did any of that, but Jesus died to take our punishment. He took all of God's anger and God's justice so that we could join Him in paradise. Don't you think that's amazing? This is the thing that turns a horrible Friday into a really great Friday. That is, if Jesus' death was just a righteous man dying, then we should all beat our breaths. But if Jesus' death was a righteous man dying in our place, then like that centurion, we should be praising God. In fact, like the criminal, we should say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, take me with you to that paradise. That's actually what heaven is. Heaven is the paradise where Jesus is king. Heaven is the paradise where there are no more injustices, there's no more cancel culture, there's just forgiveness for criminals. See, Christian's not a good person. No, Jesus is the good person. A Christian is someone who knows they're not good, but ask Jesus to take them to paradise with him and ask Jesus to be their king in paradise. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked Jesus to be the right one who died for you and take you to paradise? Will you do it? Will you ask Jesus to take you to paradise? Like our friends who we saw get baptized earlier. I'm about to show you a prayer that asks Jesus to do exactly that. I think they're going to put it up on the screen for us. Let me read to you this prayer. It says, Dear Jesus, I know that you are righteous. You didn't deserve to die. And I know I'm not righteous, but you died for me. Thank you that you took God's anger in my place. Please take me to paradise to be in your kingdom forever. See what that prayer's about? It's really about, just about the passage we just read. It's saying, Jesus, you didn't deserve to die. I did. But you took my death. You died in my place. So please take me to paradise. Is that what you'd want to say to Jesus? Because today's a really great day to do it. What I'm about to do is I'm about to pray through this prayer, just line by line. And what I'll do is I'll leave a space at the end of each line where you can pray it after me. And you don't have to pray it out loud. You just got to pray it quietly in your mind between you and Jesus. And you can say these words. And then at the end, I'll talk as the band comes up, I'll talk about what a good next step might be. But if you want to pray this, why don't we'll all close our eyes and I'll pray line by line and you can pray it after me. Dear Jesus, I know you're righteous. You didn't deserve to die. And I know I'm not righteous. But you died for me. Thank you that you took God's anger in my place. Please take me to paradise to be in your kingdom forever.